We can open your Bibles over to John uh, chapter 8. John chapter 8. We're going to start a little uh, series on discipleship. Um, And I'm calling it uh, discipleship. Be one, make one. (laughs) That's the whole idea of discipleship. And uh, you don't have to be a believer very long and read through any of the New Testament at all to find the whole purpose really of the church, the whole, you could say, mission of every local church is described for us exactly the same way. It's been that way for 2,000 plus years and it's simply this, it's to go and to what? Make disciples, right? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go make disciples. And we're a Bible-believing church, so we want to do what God's Word tells us to do. Um, We're a gospel-centered church, and we want to be all about making uh, disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we should be doing. That's who we are. That's what we're about. And um, if you're new to our church, if you're new to the church at all, or if you're new to the New Testament, reading the Bible at all, if you're new maybe to the Christian faith in general, um, that statement alone to make disciples might be a little confusing. And sometimes people ask questions like, well, what is a disciple? Uh, you're trying to make people like uh, Peter and John and Matthew, is that what you're trying to do? Uh, how does a person become a disciple? How does a person know that he's a disciple, right? Um, does every disciple participate in the same activities can you be a christian and not be a disciple that's a question that comes up a lot Uh, do disciples have the same qualities and all those questions are good and hopefully we'll answer some of those in the coming weeks and so we really want to dig into what the scriptures and glean from what the scriptures mainly the new testament tell us Because if we're going to go and make disciples, and if we're going to be disciples, if we're going to make uh, mature believers and multiply disciples, how does it work? What does that mean? How do we go about it? What does it look like? And um, I think that's something that applies to every believer. Okay, we all need to be about making disciples. And I think... One reason why I kind of zeroed in on this, I kind of was tossing up a bunch of different things before we get into another book study of of what to teach. And um, I just started realizing that, you know what, across our nation, even here in Redwood City, across our county, um, there are many churches that are filled with people, right? Um, And my heart's kind of burdened because even though they're filled with people, these are people that are going through the motions of Christianity and, um, but you wonder how many of them are truly disciples of Christ? How many of them truly understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ? And so I'm, I'm hopeful, my desire is that this would be impactful for all of us to hear this again. This isn't going to be something profound and new. You're not going to go, wow, I never heard that before, okay? But sometimes we need to be reminded of things that we have been taught. And, um... I think it's a very important subject matter. And so uh, that's why we exist as a church. 
That's what Christ tells us to do, to go into all the world and to make, preach the gospel, to make disciples. And um, we want to be about that. We, we don't want to just be a church that's just a church about, well, what do you do? Well, we have service, <laughs> okay? We have Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, we're nice to our neighbors. Um, we're, we're nice people. No, we want to be about, what, the Father's business, right? We want to know what God wants us to do. We want to we be about the work of eternity because, you know, you don't have to look too far in this world to realize this is not going to end well. <laughs> okay, it's, it's basically playing out just the way the Bible said it would play out. And um, everything from a one-world government to just collapses of economy and health issues, everything. And, you know, this is going to take all of us together as believers. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the elder's job. It's our job. It's what God has called us to. And that's what makes it exciting, right? That's what makes it an adventure because we're all called to do the same thing, but we're called to do it together. And... Um, I guess as far as introducing this, this subject matter, I, I hope you realize that it is possible for people to believe that they are disciples of Christ. They believe it. They, they think that they're Christians. Um, they think that they're followers of Christ. Um, they think that they're believers. But probably... A lot of people in our churches today believe all those things, but all for the wrong reasons. And unfortunately, they're wrong. Um, and they sincerely believe, even if you ask them, they sincerely believe that if they died, they would go to heaven. But they could also be sincerely wrong. Just because they're mouthing those words doesn't mean that that's true. And that's what Paul points out. And I put the, the verse there in your outline, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He says what? Examine yourselves, Paul says. He's talking to Christians. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Now, Paul's not trying to get a bunch of people to doubt their salvation. And certainly I'm not trying to do that through this series I'm not, I don't want to get people to doubt their salvation, that they're really saved. It's, it's really just the opposite, okay? It's a call to examine your salvation because I want people to be certain. I want people to know for sure. I, I want people to base their faith not on their feelings, not on something that happened 25, 50 years ago to them. I don't want them to base it on being a member of Grace Bible Church, but I, I want them to base their their faith on the evidence of their, of their life because that's all we have. Um, we want them to know that they are followers, that they are disciples, that they are currently um, living out their Christian life, that they're walking with Jesus. And you know what? This was a problem back in Paul's day. It's a problem in our day. And, and the problem is simply this. People do not examine themselves. They don't. What do they do? They assume <laughs> They assume certain things. You know, we have so many people in our churches today that have feel like they've inherited the Christian faith from their parents. They were raised in a Christian family. They were born in America. They go to church on Easter and Christmas, and they're nice to people. Obviously, they're Christians. And I'm telling you, as crazy as it sounds, when you say it out loud, people believe that. 
kind of thought process. They assume they're disciples of Christ. And the evidence of their life, I would say, suggests something else. The evidence of their life suggests otherwise. And the, how do you test it, right? How, how do we test whether someone's a disciple of Christ or not? Um, the way that we examine whether or not we're in the faith, how do you know? How can you, I mean, can you see in somebody's heart? Can you see in your own heart? Yeah, Jesus is in there. No. Uh, how do you know whether or not you're in the faith, whether or not you're a genuine believer? I get this question all the time. How can I know, right? How can I know that I'm a Christian, people say. They ask that question. How can I know I'm going to heaven when I die? And I think one of the best ways is this. It's, it's, it's very simple. You have to look at the activity, and you have to look at the actions in your life, and you really have to compare that to what the Bible says that we should be doing as believers, as disciples of Christ. Um, the problem is, is that most of us don't understand fully what's in the Bible because we're not, what? We're not studying our Bibles. We're not reading our Bibles. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight because you're here. But what I'm saying in general, okay, our churches across America are filled with people that pick up their Bible to go to church on Sunday, and that's it. Statistics prove that out um, because they're not reading the, their scriptures. And so if you compare the actions and the activities of your, your, your life or their life even to the commands of scripture, there's no comparison. They don't look alike. They don't do what Jesus tells them to do. Um, they don't look like Jesus says they should look. And if your life... And what you do in your life doesn't look like the commands of Jesus and what he's instructed us to do. The sad news is, you know what? You're not a disciple. You're not a believer. You're not a Christian. And that's hard to say to people. And I don't say that in judgment. I'm not trying to be judgmental toward people. But I say it with much love in my heart. I don't want people to die and go to a Christless eternity, right? I want them to come to Christ. I want them to know with full certainty. Um, I want them to feel that, that excitement, that zealousness, that passion, that energy and venture that is in a believer's life when they're walking with Christ, even as messed up as the world is. It's an exciting life to be a Christian, is it not? But it also, sometimes it, we have to embrace some suffering, <laughs> Sometimes when we live for Christ, it means that we have to suffer. It means pain, if it means joy, if it means sometimes saying hard things to people, if it means being in a way that's kind of upstream in a downstream world, you know, you're, everything's backwards. Uh, because, frankly, our churches are filled with a lot of people, but I just wonder how many genuine followers, genuine disciples of Christ there are that we have. And so we're going to dig into this over the next couple of weeks, and we're going to find out how this all pans out, what, what discipleship is and how we can be one and how we can make one. So let's start in our outline there. What is genuine? What is a genuine disciple? What is a genuine disciple? A genuine disciple is, I put it there, is a follower, a worshiper, and an imitator 
okay, of Jesus Christ. A follower, a worshiper, and an imitator of Jesus Christ. Now, hear me on this. It's not simply someone who has learned what Jesus said. Our seminaries are filled with seminary professors who know a lot about the Bible, but they don't know the author of the Bible. They're not believers. They're intellectual brainiacs. And so we've seen over the years how our seminaries have been messed up by people of that like. Uh, remember uh, Bill, Bill Cosby, the show, and they had the character Fat Albert on there. Remember him? Oh, oh, oh here goes Fat Albert. You know, I think that's kind of how our churches are filled. We're filled with Fat Albert Christians, you know. Hey, 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 give me another sermon, right? Um, I just want more. Uh, give me more information. And, and we go to church and we sit there and we just, you know, we have this spiritual belly that's busting out all over the place. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with sermons. I kind of like sermons. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with information. It's important to glean information. There's nothing wrong with learning facts and, and information. But if we're not doing anything with it, guess what? We're not disciples. We're not disciples. Disciples are not simply learners of what Jesus said. That doesn't make a disciple. A disciple is one who lives what Jesus taught. Okay, they don't just learn what Jesus said, but they live what Jesus taught. So they learn it, and then they live it. They learn it, they live it. They're following Jesus. They're imitating Jesus. They're, they're worshiping Jesus with their life. See, part of our, our worship is not just to come here on a Sunday morning and sing some songs and hear somebody speak and go home. It's not just to come out on a Wednesday night and open up your Bible and do a Bible study. Uh, part of our worship is to what? Every day we're called to follow Christ, to imitate Christ. It's to love like Jesus loved. It's to talk about Jesus. It's to be around people who don't even know you're a Christian, but they look at your life and they say, wow, there is something different there. What is that? Because that, that aroma of Christ is just overflowing out of your heart and your life. They see there's something different about you. You're peculiar, as the Bible says. Not in a weird way but in a way that says, well, they stand out. They're the salt and the light. That's what discipleship is. Now, one of the things, if you've read through the Gospel of John, you probably noticed this, but when you read through the Gospel of John and you read about the ministry of Jesus, Jesus is constantly, like just over and over and over again, he's constantly communicating to his audience what is and what it means to be a genuine disciple, an authentic disciple disciple he wanted people to know that what it really means to be part of the family of god it's throughout the whole gospel on every page because when you read about jesus the only people that really got him ticked off in his ministry the people that he really expressed some anger and some snarkiness with with his with his reaction to them you could say are the people who thought they're part of the family of god the people like the Pharisees, right? the religious leaders, the Sadducees. You know, they thought they were holy. They thought they were God's disciples, but they weren't. That really bothered Christ. 
and he's constantly talking about what it means to be real, what it means to be authentic, what it means to be genuine. And really, it applies to us as well. And so when you look at, at John chapter 8, he's having this, this conversation here, and you, we're going to look down at verse 28, John 8, 28. And follow along as I read this section of scripture for us because it kind of brings to light some of what we're talking about. John 8 verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, uh, then you will know that I am He. And what I do, and, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Verse 29, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. And look at this, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, you know what? He is always pleasing the Father. He's not pleasing himself. He's always pleasing the Father. And so as we follow Jesus, as we obey Jesus, we, we should be doing the same thing, right? Verse 30, and as he was saying these things, look at what happens. As he was speaking his words, which were the what? The word of God, right? As he was speaking the word of God, many believed in him. That's a good thing. Verse 31, so Jesus said to these Jews who had believed in him, <laughs> if, wow, if, conditional, conditional, <laughs> word there, if you abide in my word, you are indeed, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And in verse 33, it says, they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? You can see their, their, their piousness, right? They're just dripping with religiosity. And Jesus answered them, verse 34, truly, truly, I mean, if Jesus says truly once, you might want to listen. If he says it twice, you better really, really listen, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be what? Free indeed, he says. We hear that word over and over in our text, indeed or truly. What does it mean? What does that word indeed mean? You have to understand, when you're, when you're studying the Bible, when you're studying Scripture, God says what he means, and he means what he says. <laughs> we don't have to make it up. It's pretty simple. So what does he mean, you are indeed my disciples, or you are truly my disciples? Well, he's talking about being authentic. He's talking about authenticity. He's talking about being a genuine disciple. The word here indeed literally means really or, or, or truly, you can see. Have you ever been around somebody who really uses that word really emphatically? You know, I mean, they're really, maybe they're upset. You know, like, I'm really, really mad right now, you know. Uh, they, they, you know, they're just, they really want to let you know how they're feeling. I'm really ticked off. 
I really feel like punching that guy in the face. Okay, well, maybe not that to that extent, but the idea is really, really, and you really mean what you're saying, right? It's real. It's emphatic. I'm, I'm truly saying this because this is what I'm feeling. Jesus is saying, if you do this, then you are truly, you are really one of my true disciples. That's kind of what he's saying. Well, see, we have a misunderstanding because we think there's only two categories of people. And Jesus says, no, there's really three. <laughs> this is what Jesus is telling these people. See, we, we typically think, whether it's, we think of disciples and what? Non-disciples. But Jesus says, no, there's a third group. There's a third group. It's not just disciples and non-disciples of Jesus. Jesus is saying there's three. There are non-disciples. There are people who do not claim to follow Jesus at all, and they're very open to that. They're, they're, they reject God completely. They don't believe in God, and they're very open with that. They're non-disciples of Christ. We have people in our, our lives, all of us do, that reject God, reject his truth, reject Christ. They're non-disciples. And then you have people who what I would call are fake <laughs> or fraudulent disciples. There, there are those people who say they're disciples, right? But they're not. That's the second group. Now, they may not know they're fake. They may really believe in their heart that they're a disciple of Christ. But Jesus knows better. They're fake. Either way, whether they know it or not, they're fake. And then the third group, what Jesus is pointing out, is there's, there's a third group here that's the real deal. There are those who say they're the disciples of Christ, and you can tell by the way they look, Yes, they are. That's, that's an authentic disciple. They're truly real disciples. They're, they're, they're genuine followers. They're, they're people who will be in heaven forever with God one day. And Jesus wants us to understand what they do. He, he wants us to understand what they look like. He, he wants us to understand what they act like. And you know what? He wants us to understand if your life does not look like this, what is he saying? You're not my disciple, even though you're saying you are. This is what he's pointing out to them. And those are not, like I said before, those are not words, I would say, of judgment. Those are words of grace. Because God wants us to examine ourselves. He's saying, examine yourself. This is what it looks like to be a disciple. This is what disciples do. These are the activities of disciples. These are the actions of a disciple. He's saying all this through the words of grace. And he's telling these people, wake up, open your eyes, examine yourself. Because when I come back, either at my second coming or you die and you go into eternity, either way, just because you're saying you're my disciple doesn't make it so. And there's a the chance you would die and you would not be my disciple. And so Jesus looked at people and he said, they're, here these people are standing in front of God one day. And he says this in Matthew 7. You know this verse. I'll just read it, Matthew 7, 21. The scary section of scripture for me and I'm sure for you too. Verse 21, he says, Not everyone, Jesus says, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will 
enter the kingdom of heaven. He's boldly saying that. Not everyone who says this, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does, listen, the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay? On that day, Jesus says, many will say to me, he gives an example, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? Not in our name, in your name, Lord. And then verse 23, he says, and then I will declare to them, statement of fact, not a touchy-feely little message. <laughs> okay, he's not trying to win these people over at this point. He's basically just giving them the facts. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a scary section of Scripture. At least it is for me. I mean, that runs in my head <laughs> several times a week in the night times. Like, wow, I, I would not want to be in this situation. <laughs> Help me examine my own heart. I mean, when God says, I never knew you, think about that. God says, I never knew you. See, Jesus wants people to really know, really know, that they are truly his disciples. And he tells us this is what a disciple does. This is what a disciple looks like. And so tonight we just want to go through a simple twofold outline here what true discipleship is. It has two things here. That's all we have to remember. Walk away with two things. First of all, true discipleship has one entrance. It has one, uh, you can say on-ramp if you want. It has only one gate, one door, however you want to say it. True discipleship, a relationship with Jesus... Uh, being saved, being born again, becoming his disciple, all those things mean the same thing. There's only one entrance into that. Only one. And the entrance is this. You have to be a member of Grace Bible Church. No. <laughs> right? I mean, that'd be crazy. No. The entrance is this. Correct belief in Jesus. Correct belief in Jesus. So you can't believe as a disciple of Christ anything you want to believe. That's not an option you have. Because your salvation is not by sincerity. You may say, well, but I sincerely believe this. It doesn't make any difference. I'm sure the people standing before Jesus sincerely believed that they were doing all these things in his name. But they weren't. I was sincere in my belief. No, it's not about that. It's about correct belief in Jesus. That's why theology matters, right? That, that's why it's so important to understand the Jesus we're speaking of. Well, where do we get this correct theology? Where do we get the correct beliefs that we're supposed to believe in? We, we get it from where? God's word, right? We get it from God's word. And that's what Jesus says here, even in, in the verses we read, verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. As he was saying these things, as he was speaking the word of God from his own mouth. 
they believed in him. And his response to them was, if you, if, he's saying you believe, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Word of condition here. Let me say this, Jesus doesn't always believe that people who say they believe, believe. <laughs> I say that right, I think I did. it's kind of a, a tongue twister. Jesus doesn't always believe that people say they believe, actually believes. He says, hey, wait a minute, there's a condition. You say you believe, wonderful. But he's talking to the masses here. He's talking to the masses. He's talking to the crowds. And he's talking even to us today. And he's saying, you're saying this, but let me tell you, if, if, it's true, if, most of us here tonight would say we're believers. Most of us here tonight would say, hey, we're disciples of Christ. And Jesus would say, hey, I applaud you. That's wonderful. That's what you say. But this is how you know. This is how you know. Here's the condition. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You are my disciples indeed. See, becoming a disciple starts the very same way for everybody. There's only one entrance and that's to believe what? In Jesus. It's very simple. It's not rocket science. Believe in Jesus. You see that throughout the entire canon of Scripture, don't you? I mean, we, we could spend hours tonight going over verses and verses that explain that we need to believe in Jesus. Let me just give you a couple, because we don't have time to give you 50 or 100. Acts 16.31, and they're listed there in your outline there too, it says, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and you and your household. So how are you saved? You've got to believe in the Lord Jesus. Pretty simple. Or in, Act, or in John chapter 3, verse 16, we know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what? Believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then verse 18 says, whoever, open to anybody, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned, what? Already. Because he has not believed in what? In the name of the only son of God. So it comes right back to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Or John 20, 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Christ, the Messiah, that he is the Savior, that he is the rescuer of your soul. The Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I mean, do you hear the theme here? It's believe, 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 believe. That's, that's what he's saying. And we could give you many more verses. But every person, everyone who gets on that ramp, everyone who enters into a committed relationship of following Jesus Christ, everyone who becomes born again, everyone who is saved, they do so by believing in Jesus. 
very basic. They believe he is who he says he is, that he is the second person of the Trinity, that he is God. Sometimes cults don't believe that Jesus is God, but they're really nice people. And I've had people ask, well, don't you think they're a Christian? I mean, I know they have a different belief about Jesus, but are you serious? No, they're not a Christian. They're on their way to hell because they, they do not believe in Jesus. They do not believe in the Jesus of the Bible. They don't believe that he is God, that he is the one who has made flesh, the creator, that he is the one who was born of a virgin, that he is the one who has lived and lived a perfect life for our benefit, that he is the one who is our sin bearer on the cross, that he is the one who endured the wrath of God on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin to be forgiven, that he is the one who was buried in a tomb and that his body was dead physically and then three days later he rose victoriously over death hell, sin, and the grave. And now he says, I reign forevermore, and I am God, and I am calling you to believe in me. I've demonstrated, I've done everything that you need for me to do. And now he says, come, believe, trust in me. That's what he's saying. Believe, believe, believe. And most of the time, and here's the thing that we forget. We use believe, the word believe, a lot differently than the Bible uses the word believe. Do we not? So typically, we, if somebody believes in something, we, well, they're giving me mental assent to it. You know, they're agreeing with it, right? I believe this, I believe that. So it plays out in our evangelism. If you think about it, when you're sharing Christ with your unsaved loved ones or family or friends, a lot of times we'll say things like this. Well, well hey, 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 do you believe that Jesus was a real person? And the person says, well, sure. Right? Yeah. Well, do you believe that he was the son of God? Yeah. Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? Eh, yeah, I guess I believe that. Do you believe that he rose from the dead? Sure. Sure, I believe that. Do you believe that he's coming again? Well, welcome to the family of God. And we coronate him as a believer. Well, they answered all the right questions, right? That is not belief in the Bible. That is not what it means to believe. Because we haven't told them the whole story. We, we see their mental assent. We see they're agreeing with our questions. And what Jesus is telling us, he's telling us that it's so much more than that. You can believe every fact that was ever written about Jesus Christ and still go to hell. You could agree with every fact and still go to hell. Because what? Salvation is not about getting the facts in your head. That's not what salvation is about. But in our churches, they're filled with people that think that's what it's all about. Just get the facts in your head. Go to Sunday school like a good little kid and go up, come up through and memorize all these verses and do all this stuff. I remember in Awana. Awana's a wonderful program. Don't get me wrong. But I remember hearing kids recite verses ad nauseum to get a prize. And if you were to stop the kid and say, well, 
okay, that's great. You just memorize that verse. What does it mean? Mm. Can I have my cookie now or whatever it was? <laughs> Seriously. And they're doing the right thing. They're doing what the program tells them to do. But see, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. Because salvation is not about getting facts in your head. It's not a mind full of facts and information that's going to save you. What is it? It's a heart full of faith. That's what's going to save you. The Bible says you cannot be saved apart from faith. You can't. It's a, it's a gift of God's grace. But you receive that offer by faith. I don't know if you've thought about this, but I realized this early on in my faith that, that our faith, that Christianity is not logical. It's not logical. It's not even rational. And when we try to explain it to people, you can see the puzzle looking. Wait, he died for what? What, what are you talking about? Right? Um, it's not like you said one day, well, you know, when you, when you share your faith, well, let me just tell you, you know, there's this guy, and, you know, he came out of heaven, and he died in my place, and, and then he wrote this wonderful book. You know, there's nothing rational about the gospel. It makes no sense. It's like those, you know, TV ads you hear, you know, well, if, you know, we're going to give this to you for free. No, you're not. No, you're not. It's not free. Because the minute I sign up for your little free gimmick, for six months, I'm paying on my credit card these stupid charges that you keep on sending me that I can't stop. So it's not free. But they're saying it's free. See, Christianity is not logical. There's nothing rational about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what it's going to take to believe the gospel? Not your logical mind, not being rational. What's it going to take? It's going to take faith. It's going to take faith. Now, does that mean you don't use your brain? No, I'm not saying that. Obviously, you use your brain. You use your brain to gather all the evidence. And God says, you know what? Use all the brain that you have, but just know that it's going to take more than your brain to save you. Because if it was just a logical thing, if it was just a matter of being rational, all the smart people would get saved. And all the rest of us would be like, well, I'm still trying to figure it out. Just can't figure it out. I mean, I am so glad that it didn't work out that way. <laughs> I'm so glad you don't have to be smart to be born again or to be saved. Because not all of us have a brilliant mind. But you know what? All of us, all of us, every one of us have the ability to believe with our heart. Everybody has that ability. And so he says, use all the brain that you have, whether it's a little, whether it's a lot, but just know it's going to require a little bit more than just your brain power. See, that's why when it comes to sharing our faith, we're a little hesitant because it's not logical. You know, people don't understand it. So when you, you, you try to share your faith, you, you're afraid you're going to sound like some kind of Jesus freak or you know, people are going to make fun of you or whatever. Well, I just trust God. I just walk my faith. And, you know, those, those words don't mean anything to these people. 
And see, this is part of it, but only God can turn on the lights for those who are in the darkness and cause them to believe. We can't. There's not a switch that we can turn. We can share the truth with them. We can share the gospel with them. You know, it's not like we just woke up one day, yeah, but I just think I'll become a Christian now. No, there was a process to it. God, God wooed us. God, God turned on the lights for us. That's why we believed. You don't just sit down with your pen and pencil and your calculator and figure it all out. God turns on the light. Salvation comes from him. So it's not logical, it's not rational, but he says you must believe. The Bible says you must believe. It doesn't mean just mental assent. It doesn't mean that at all. It means so much more. It means that we totally rely on, we totally trust in, we totally depend on. It's as if you're putting your full weight on something. You know, if, if I were to jump up on this table right now, I'm not going to do it because I'm 62 and <laughs> just a little tired, but, you know, but if I were to jump up on that table, I would be demonstrating what? Faith that the table has complete ability to hold my weight. I'm depending on it. I'm relying on the fact that that table would hold me up if I jumped on it. That would be what? That would be faith, right? Now, if I stood here all night and just said, you know, I, I think, I believe that table could hold me. Sure, yeah, it'll hold me. Yeah, it'll hold me. I, I'm, I'm sure it will. I, I believe it full, wholeheartedly, but I never get on that table. I never put the full weight of my body on that table. What am I doing? I, I'm not showing you faith. Okay, that would not be faith. Faith is when I'm relying on something, when I'm depending on something, when I'm trusting in something, when I'm putting everything on the line. That is the gospel. That is what we believe as Christians, that we trust in, that we depend on, that we rely on the fact that we are being redeemed and that our sins have been forgiven, past, present, future, that it's been nailed to the cross. Why? Because of something I've done? No, but because I'm depending on who? Christ, on my sin bearer, on the one who rescued me, on the one who redeemed me, on the one who died in my place, the Bible says. And I believe that every day when I get up and I come before the Lord, I'm not just talking words into the air. My, my words are not just bouncing off the ceiling. That I am communicating with my Lord, my Savior, Jesus Christ, who is alive. Now, there are Christians who, to be honest, if they found the body of Jesus today in a grave somewhere, and they could authenticate, well, this is really the body of Jesus Christ. Well, he wasn't risen from the dead. They actually found his bones. There are, quote, Christians in the church today. It wouldn't change their life at all. It wouldn't. They would say, well, well, that's kind of interesting. Okay, but you know what? I'm just going to live for Jesus anyway. I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. Nothing changes. I mean, in all honesty, if they found the bones of Jesus, my life's over. I don't know about you, but my life is over. I would not know how to continue to live. Literally. I don't know how I could live. If somehow they found out that the Bible 
was not inspired, that somehow they found out that it wasn't the written word of God, that somehow they figured out that men did conspire and they just made all this fanciful stuff up. Guess what? My life is over. It's not worth living. I have nothing to live for. Period. Why? Because everything I want to do, every goal that I have, every joy that is rooted in my life is rooted in the life and the death and the resurrection of who? Of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And if that is not true, and if I'm not able to communicate with him, and if I don't have him with me, I don't want this life. It's too hard. Forget it. But the good news is, you know what? I know that he is real. And that he is alive. And I know that he is with me. And I know that he does walk with me. That he protects me. That he blesses me. That he disciplines me. That sometimes he says, you, you silly knucklehead. What are you doing? But I love you anyway. Right? See, I don't just have a mental assent to Christ or to Christianity. It's not my religion. It's all about my relationship with an individual, a living individual. But that's what we're called to. But you have to have that flip of the switch because you can have all the facts. You can have all the facts about Christ and not, not have the life. That's so important to understand. Because there are people going through life thinking they're alive spiritually. But they're spiritually dead, the Bible says. It doesn't mean they don't exist. See, we, we typically think of, of death as the end, don't we? Generally. Oh, he died. Oh, his, his life's over. No, it's not. It's not over. Do you understand that everybody is going to live forever? Everybody. Whether you're a Christian or not, you're going to live forever. But only some are going to live forever with God <laughs> in his presence. Because spiritual death, the Bible speaks of spiritual death, and in, in the way we describe spiritual death is, is the eternal existence outside of the life of God. Think about that for a second. Outside of the life of God. That's what spiritual death is. Removed from the life of God. It's an existence outside the life of God. Outside the joy of God. Outside the touch of God. The beauty of God. The compassion of God. The grace of God. The mercy of God. That's what hell is. That's what hell is. Hell is existing for all eternity outside the life of God. The only part of God you receive in hell is the judgment, the wrath. And so Jesus comes down and he says, you know what? I've come to give you life and to give you life more what? Abundantly. You notice he doesn't say, I've come to give you eternal life life that's not what he says because he knows everybody's going to have eternal life the only difference is one's going to be in heaven one's going to be in hell everybody's going to live forever 
He's saying, I'm going to give you eternal life that belongs to God. And you're going to be inside the life of God, the living God, the beauty of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the provision, the purpose of God, all those things for all of eternity. While others who reject that one way, that one entrance, that one on-ramp, they reject it, they will exist forever outside the life of God simply because they rejected his free offer of salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Paul put it this way. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Makes no sense. They make a joke of it. But to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. See, they rely on, they depend on, they, they trust in with every fiber of their being that Jesus is the only way to life in God. So one entrance, correct belief in Jesus. Here's the second point, quickly. He says, well, all, I'm glad you all believe in the context there. And they said, well, we believe. And he says, well, I don't believe that. So true discipleship, he says, has an obvious evidence. Just because you say you believe, there's an, there should be an obvious evidence. True discipleship has an obvious evidence. It has, it has proof. It has proof. Well, what is the proof? It's continued obedience to Jesus. This is what he says in verse 31 of John 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, the idea is you continue to abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. See, they're saying we believe, we believe. And they're probably saying, well, I know, Jesus, you, you, you don't think those Pharisees are real believers. And those Sadducees and all those other bad people, they don't believe. But we believe. And he says, okay. All right, I'll take you at your word. That's good news that you believe. But there's going to be a test. <laughs> there's going to be verification of your belief. There's going to be an examination. If... You abide in my word. You are truly my disciples. Now, understand, obedience does not bring salvation. We're not saying you're saved by being obedient to commands. That would not be correct. It's the belief that saves you. It's, you know, we're, we're saved by God's grace through faith. But the obedience is what? Is the evidence of what is unseen. You can't see somebody's belief. You know, I can say I believe all day long. You can't look at me and say, oh, yeah, I see it. No, you can't. You know, physically. I mean, there's not like a, a B on my forehead that, oh, yeah, he, God stamped him with B for a believer. You know, no, it doesn't work that way. Belief is the unseen. Obedience is the evidence of what is unseen. See, I can't see your belief, but I can see the evidence of your belief. And what is that? It's obedience to the word of God. It, it's that simple. Jesus says, if you abide in my word. The word abide there means to continue in, to, you could say, to hold on to, 
right, to remain in. And he's saying, if you remain in, if you hold on to, if you continue on obeying my word. And so the evidence here is very clear. If you're saying, I know that 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 I'm a disciple and that I'm on my way to heaven, well then guess what? The activities and the actions of your life will align with the commands of Scripture. Very clear. Now, as I mentioned before, the problem is a lot of us aren't reading our Bibles as much as we should, so we don't know what the Bible says. I mean, I, I've heard people pray things like, like to the Lord. You know, they're praying for themselves in a group and they're saying, Lord, just give me more love. And I always go, do you know how much love God has already, God has shed abroad the love of Christ in your heart. Guess what? He's not going to answer that prayer. He's not going to give you more love. He's giving you all the love he can possibly give you. <laughs> You're just not using it. Right? So we have to understand you know, what the word says and how we're to apply it to our, our lives. And so if our actions and our activities are lining up with the commands of Scripture, then that's, that's a, good, a good sign that we are truly his disciple. Like I said, the problem is most of us aren't reading our Bibles like we should, so we don't know what Scripture says. And guess where that comes from? That, that comes directly from the enemy. That comes directly from Satan. He doesn't want you reading your Bible. Why? Because if you read your Bible, then you could actually examine yourself. But if you don't read your Bible and you don't know what the Bible says, then you have nothing to know whether you're doing the right thing or not. It's, a, it's like if, if I had a wonderful piece of cake up here and you, you took a bite and you said, oh my, that is so incredible. I, I just, I need to bake that cake. Well, good luck, I ain't giving you the recipe. Right? You'd have a hard time replicating what's before you. But if I gave you the recipe, you could probably go home and, and make that cake. But you could also go home and say, yeah, he gave me this recipe, but I'm going to do it on my own anyway. <laughs> All right? And you're probably not going to come out with the right thing. See, this is what we're doing today in the church. We're taking the Bible, we're setting it on the shelf, and we're teaching people all other kinds of things in churches, and people don't even understand what's in the Word of God. And so they can't examine themselves. They just assume they're in the faith. And Satan's got them right where they want, where he, he wants them to be. Because if you can't examine yourself by the Word of God, the only other option is to examine yourself by your feelings. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've learned early on in my Christian life not to live by my feelings. I mean, if I go by my feelings, one day I'm feeling like a Christian, next day I'm not. <laughs> okay, I mean, let's just be honest. Our feelings lie to us every day. Well, maybe you have to just go on then what the preacher says. Um, no. Be a Berean. Figure it out for yourself. Open up the Word of God and study. Study, study, study. Um, as a youth pastor, a lot of time I was, I was with parents, and, and, and some of the parents had even older children. Okay, they weren't even teenagers anymore. They were in their 20s and 30s. And these parents were just, their hearts were burdened, they're grieved, and they're, they're telling me these, they're kids, and they're just off in the world doing all this horrible stuff. And 
you know, they'd share all this information with them. They're doing drugs. They're sleeping around. They're doing all this stuff. And, and then they'd say something like this. You know, and we didn't raise them that way. We raised them better than that. And I'd look at them and I'd, I, you know, I'm trying to help them, right? I'm trying to feel some compassion. And, and I'd ask them a simple question. I'd say, well, can I ask you a question? Sure. Well, are, you, are your kids believers? Are they, are they followers of Christ? Are they following Jesus? And almost always, without a doubt, the parents would say this. Well, 25 years ago, when they were eight years old, pastor, they walked down the aisle and they prayed a prayer with the preacher. And then they got in the baptistry and they got baptized. And then in the third grade, they were so fired up, they wanted to be a preacher themselves. And I want to say, who cares? Who cares? I mean, that's a major red flag. When you're asking somebody about their faith and they have to go back 25, 30, 40 years to explain why they're saved, why they think they're saved, because they raised their hand in a meeting or they walked down an aisle, that's ridiculous. You're in big trouble. If you have to go back that far to find out proof that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. The evidence should not be buried in your past. It should be alive. It should be well. It should be right here, right now. I mean, we're not going to live this life perfectly. We're not. We're not going to be perfect Christians. And guess what? We're not looking. God isn't looking for perfection in our behavior. That's why Christ died, to cover our imperfections. But we have to understand that this, this great commission has two parts. And sometimes we forget the second part. We all know the first part. We've memorized it. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's the second part that we kind of leave off. Teaching, listen, teaching them to obey all things that I taught you. That's also part of the Great Commission. We're to teach one another. We're to teach one another what to obey, how to obey, and then we're to hold one another as brothers and sisters in Christ accountable for obedience. Now, as Americans, we don't like this. We don't like to be held accountable. We like to do what we want to do. We like to go where we want to go. It's a lot easier. But you know what? Um, I would rather have 10 people fired up to obey Jesus than 1,000 people that say, ah, whatever, take it or leave it. I mean, I don't know where you are tonight. I, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at myself as well. Um, but I'm hopeful and I've been praying that God will fall afresh on our hearts and on our minds. And, and you know what? It's, it's the word of God that does its work. The word of God does work. It's, it's the soil that I'm concerned about, right? The soil is our hearts. Uh, and Jesus talked about that, told the parable about the seed that is stolen away. And today, unfortunately, we've changed the gospel. As churches, we've changed the, the gospel. You go to a lot of places, and they're not telling you the way it is. They're not telling you what Scripture is telling us. 
They're getting up there and they're basically saying things that are couched with, you know, fluffy words and, and kind, soft things because they're afraid if they said really what the gospel said, you'd probably get up and walk out and they can't afford you to walk out. They want to have as many people in their pews as possible. I'm not against having a lot of people. God, please send us more. But you know what? It's not my job to fill this place up. And it's not your job either. Jesus said he'll build his church. That's his job. That's up to him. But it's also not our job to change the gospel. You say, well, how do we change it? Well, we tell people, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to have a better life. If you believe in Jesus, things are just going to get better for you. Instead of saying, basically, you know what? Jesus has come to take away your sin and, and make you right with God and give you eternity with God forever. And in the meantime, while you're here, he, he may have you do some really hard things and you may have to suffer a little bit and your life may stink for a while, but that's okay. I mean, look out throughout the scripture. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul. Look at his life, shipwrecked. I mean, he went through all sorts of stuff. I'm sure he, he thought at times, I didn't sign up for this, God. But he was willing to serve. But he also promises that he will use you in ways that you never thought of. That maybe you wouldn't have chosen to be used yourself. You, you probably wouldn't have envisioned yourself doing what God wants you to, to do. But Jesus says, I'm, I'm going I'm to glorify myself through you. I'm going to bring glory to the kingdom. And I'm going to use you in a special way. And you know what? When you get to eternity, I'm going to shower you. I'm going to reward you with my presence forever. So you know what? In the meantime, just hang tough because I'm here with you. I'm never going to leave you. That's what we need to tell people. Instead, we tell them, well, Jesus came to give you a better life or your best life now. And what happens? They don't have a better life. They make a profession of faith and their spouse has an affair on them or their business collapses, or somebody slanders them. And they're like, oh, really? Where's Jesus now? You told me my life was going to be better. I accepted Jesus because I wanted a better life. And what did we do? We gave them a false gospel. And they walk away disillusioned from Christ. Jesus didn't promise us a better life. He promised to take away our sin and to give us God's life forever. That's what he promised. That's the gospel. And the Bible tells us that when we get treated harshly for the name of Christ, it's that in that we rejoice. We're called to suffer for Christ's sake. And part of our job spiritually as leaders in the church is to warn you. When we see something, uh, to warn you, when we see a, a, a sheep getting too close to the edge, we, we, it's our job to say, hey, get away from there. You're getting too close. That's what the job of a pastor, that's what the job of an elder, that's what the job of a fellow believer really is toward one another. 
you know, my job is not just to say, hey, I, I'd rather you not to get so close there to the edge because you may just fall over. I mean, I don't want to tell you what to do, but, you know. No. Maybe I'm going to jerk you away from the edge. Maybe I'm going to yell at you. Because my job is not to be your best friend and then just let you fall off the cliff spiritually. Obvious evidence is continued obedience. We press on. Philippians 2.13 says, For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Isn't that great? That, that God calls us to his life and he says, By the way, I'm going to do all the work for you. <laughs> I'm going to do it through you. Or 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we what? Keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, John says, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. But whoever keeps his word, abides in his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. You want to know you're a Christian? Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's what we're called to do as disciples. So the last three things here quickly. Faith, faithful, devoted obedience to Jesus, first of all, is not legalism. So get that out of your head. Legalism is, is not obedience. You're saying, but you're saying obey, you have to obey, you have to obey. Isn't that legalistic? No. Obedience is not legalism. Legalism is the understanding that I have to obey to be saved. I have to do a certain thing to get a hug from God. That's kind of what legalism is. It's putting into law something that God never did. It's putting your preference on the level of God's word. So a legalistic person would say, I, I got to go to church because you know, I, I want to be saved. I got to be good because, you know, remember that song, uh, I think it was called The Last Kiss, right? It's The Last Kiss. Oh, where, oh, where? Remember the song? Where, oh, where can my baby be? The Lord took her away from me. She's gone to heaven. And then what's it say? So I got to be good so I can see my baby when I leave this world. I mean, I like the song. I like the tune. It's the worst song theologically ever. <laughs> it, it's... The opposite of what we teach. That's legalism. She's gone to heaven, so I got to be good so I can get there too. Obedience is saying, this is what God has said to do, and therefore I will obey, and I can because he's put his Holy Spirit within me, and I love him, and I want to please him. That's what obedience is. Big difference. Second thing, faithful, devoted obedience to Jesus rejects license. What do I mean by that? Theologically, there's a term called antinomianism. Basically, it, 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 it means that you just feel you can do whatever you want. Okay? Um, you, you have license to do whatever you want. There's people out there in the church that say, hey, with grace, we just do whatever we want because our sins are all forgiven. We're not going to lose our salvation. It's just a license to sin. It's cheap grace. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's ridiculous. 
Jesus says, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. If you haven't been freed from sin, if that's how you're thinking, then you're not a believer. You're not a believer. Now, we all struggle with sin. Big difference. Big difference. We all struggle with sin. But if you don't feel convicted when you sin, you might want to examine your own heart and get it right with God. Last thing, faithful, devoted obedience to Jesus enjoys liberty. I love this. You will know the truth. Verse 32, John 8, and the truth will what? Set you free. In verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There's that word again, indeed. We enjoy liberty. We're free. Now, we're not free to do whatever we want. See, that's, that's a misnomer too. But we're free to live for God. We're free to know God's purpose in our life. We're free to go after it. We're free to please him because he's gifted us. He's called us. We're freed from sin. Think of it this way. Let me ask you this. If a train runs off its tracks, is it really free? If a train runs off its tracks, is it really free? free. See, people say all the time, well, Christianity, you know, it's so burdensome. You've got to do all this stuff and you can't do whatever you want. You've got to go to church. And, you know, and I tell those people, yeah, you, go wreck your life. Go, go do whatever you want. And guess who you're going to call? You're going to come back to the church and you're going to say, help, I need help. Right? Why? Because you're a, a train off the track. You're a train wreck. You're not free. A train is only free when it's on the track going where it's designed to go. And that's when a Christian is free, when they're on the track, when they're filled with the Spirit, when they have desire to please God, and they are saying, I'm yours, you're mine. That's freedom. That's what God calls us to. So I pray that as we pursue this series on discipleship, that we'll better understand what it means to be his disciples, his followers. Amen? Let's pray and, and then we can have some fellowship. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we, we know you're just calling us to believe in you, to trust you, to, to hear you, to come to you. Lord, you, you say you will save us, that you will be with us. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for forgiveness of our sin. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word that instructs us in your truth. And Lord, we pray that as a church that we would get a real grip on what it means to be committed to you as your disciple. Lord, that we're not free to do whatever we want whenever we want. That, Lord, you have laid out a standard for us to follow. And Lord, by your grace, I pray that we would pursue that standard with every fiber of our being that we could be the salt and the light of this world, that we could see many people come to Christ as a result of us not only being a disciple, but making disciples as well. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.